0: So This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio.
1: You know, one of the things I love about a good running game, it takes some patience. It takes a, a determination, a balled up fist and a willingness to impose your will, which is what we were talking about earlier, Max. You know, you think about it, it's it's not a one-and-done thing. It's not trying to scorch somebody, but a willingness to keep lining up. And one of the best things I loved about football, 80s and 90s style back then, which has been lost a little bit in the sense of today's generation, it's it's about red zone, it's about uh, fantasy points, it's about Madden football. Not all about it, but, you know, it, it has changed kind of the emphasis of the game. But there was something to be said about a, a, a 16-13 win where you spent three hours matching up with the guy over you and finding out, okay, let's see who's standing at the end of the day. There was something very special about that. And the preponderance of that was decided in the running game.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's where, you know, you draw your strength, right? I mean, my, my style as a lineman, when I came into a game, my mentality that I carried was, I want to break your will. You know, right. I didn't care who you were. I didn't care how many Pro Bowls you had, how many sacks you had, you know, how how great your name was out in the public media for what I call mediocrity. I'm like, because listen, a guy that has 16, 16 sacks, everybody's excited about it, you know, but not me as a lineman, because I'm like, bravo to you that you won 16 plays out of thousands. And I got to go out there and whip you for out of those 50 plays you get one sack oh my gosh he had such a great game he's continuing his streak I'm like but we played 58 plays in this game where was he the other 57 right I mean (laughs) that was the mentality so my mindset coming in there was I want to see you quit I want to see you might not say it to me verbally sometimes they do but when I look in your eyes when I stare you down I know that your will is broken. When, when you're do, when you looking at somebody and then you kind of dart and look down in a way, I've got you. I've got you. And that's what I was going for every game. I wanted to make that guy quit by the first quarter. And that's what the run game allows you to do. It allows it to be an equal playing field. We draw a line in the sand, and guess what? Who's going to cross that line? I know I'm going to cross the line every chance I get. But, we, but you know, we get into the pass situation where you have to retreat from that line. So it's like okay, I have to I have to give it up this time, but guess what? When that play is called forward, I'm stepping across that line again, and I'm going to do it again and again. And that's what I loved early on in my career. When you think of Ben's first couple of years, the 2004, five, and six Steelers, that's what our mindset was under Cowher: was that we are going to call this play, and then we're going to call it again at the end of the game, in, in that four minute drive to really close out games and we are going to run the same. I'm going to tell you where I'm going to run it, and you still can't stop me. That's when you're imposing (laughs) your will. That's when you're dominating, and that's when you're ultimately confident as an offensive line. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, there's seven of you all over there on the other side of the box, but these five right here, about to make your seven look like four. Make them look like three. You're less than us. And that's what the game of football allows you to do. It allows you to go out there and actually – perform those feats of bravado machismo right and it's truly mano-a-mano in a group setting you know i know that i'm going to throw haymakers i'm going to also throw the snap jab at you a couple times i'm going to keep you at bay but then as soon as you're not looking i'm taking you to the ground i'm pancaking you i'm burying you i'm laying on top of you it's always better when you could do a push-up than a push away from your back, right? Everybody's so enamored. with I said, listen, I hate the bench press. You know why? It's mimicking a weak position for me. I was like, give right, me the incline right. press, right? Because if you're doing this, that means you got pancaked. If you're doing this, that means you just pancaked somebody. So it was always about a mentality for me. When I trained, when I played, I was there to break the guy's will across from me.
1: You know, that's a beautiful way to put it, Max, because here's the thing about physical dominance gives way to um, creating that that mentality that you need of superiority of of the physical dominance that I think sometimes gets lost today because of the outside zone, inside zone, that sort of thing where, you know, it's like you said, it's better. Yeah, it's better to do a push up than a bench press is essentially what we're saying. You know, yeah. I always go back and use this illustration. You can ask my my brother Ronnie about this, but our, our grandfather used to build churches. He had a construction company. He'd build, you know, he was a builder and everything else. So he would hire me at that time when I was like 14, 15 on Saturdays, come down and break up cement, rocks, whatever he needed me to do, bust up, you know, whatever cement foundations that he had. I remember this one example was just this very, just cup some rocks and stuff. I had to break them up. Or whatever he was building i can't remember so i'm hammering away with a hammer you know and you're swinging away and you know after about 10 minutes you're like going hey gramp nothing's happening i'm looking at the rock right the, the rocks like laughing at me it's nothing happening and all i heard was my grandpa go it's okay boy keep swinging the hammer so you set to, and boom you're swinging again and boom you're swinging again and you keep going and another 10 minutes I don't know, Grandpa. Nothing's happening. I don't know. Do I need a bigger hammer? No, boy, you're fine. Keep swinging the hammer. Boom, boom. And maybe 40 minutes into it, the thing splits, you know, it starts breaking up. And, And that was an example to me about staying with it, persevering, having that patience, that determination. You know, you get a little bit of I don't know, maybe a blister in your hands as you're swinging that, that hammer when you're a young kid. You're sweatified, you know. All you want to do is maybe get a slushy and maybe a, you know, a, a Dolly Madison cherry pie or something, you know, and, and have a little yeah. sit down and rest a little. But no, Gramp says, keep swinging the hammer, boy. And that's what I always envisioned the run game as I grew into adulthood and started participating in football at a, at a higher level. It was always about, look, what a great opportunity. To go out there and impose your will because when you can impose physical dominance you then impose your will and everything starts to roll downhill from that point in time and i think there's nothing better than that first half about establishing a physical dominance and then imposing their will and if you go down and watch play by play some of those guys run blocking okay it's like i said the other day kendrick green okay Kendrick, kendrick green at times he looks like he's so mad somebody, I don't know, took his lunch, his lunch money or whatever, but he's going to finish somebody off and he's going to exact a little bit of revenge. And I like that. You got to have that attitude. You see Trey Turner have some of that. And you know, other guys that, I, I will tell you this, uh, Tunch Jokin, Tunch Jokin used to. <laughs> he would play with such an attitude and such nastiness? It was, it's amazing that he's, he was the same guy, uh, off the field as it was on the field, but the, the, the two sides were as different as, as the, you know, a coin having two faces, but it, that's what <laughs> it, it was to be that offensive lineman, you know, and imposing your will. And I'll give you one more example was the great Larry Brown. Who's in the Steelers hall of honor, great offensive tackle. One of the things I always say about, I, there was, there was two guys. I actually saw him make quit rushing the passer. One was Fred Cook from the Baltimore Colts, and the other was Mark Gastineau from the New York Jets. He would punch them so hard, and you had to know Bubba. Bubba back in the day, Max, we used to say when Larry Brown walked into a room, his triceps came in five minutes later. His, his arms were so big. And he would his punches were like like just two cannon shots to the chest, and it would snap your head back and everything else. And I literally, it looked like he made the sternum touch the backbone. And both, both Gastineau and Fred Cook, they spent the day playing the draw, play, playing the screen. <laughs> you know, they just stopped rushing after about half the game. So, that's what I'm talking about—that physical dominance.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, and and that that's one of the things—the violence that you must create within a short amount of distance—is oh yeah measurable. And and like you said, it, it's it's a mentality that you must create, right? You can be the nicest guy off the field, but when you right. step between those white lines and an offensive lineman, you know, to quote your brother Rod, you have a have a painted <laughs> face and a dark heart, right? To have that yep. type of mentality because you're going in and, and it was funny, I was having this conversation actually last night with Steve Kime, and he was saying it's something different about it's different about being an offensive lineman. Um, than any other position on the field. I said, well, what's that, Steve? He's like, what are we built to do? Because Steve was a former offensive lineman at NC State. Right. And, and Steve, Steve, I was like, we're built for contact. We're built for conflict every single play. Every other position can take off a play. They can remove themselves from the fray, as you would say, right? A running back can run a route and may or may not get the ball thrown to him. A receiver can run a route, or on a run play, run a decoy. A defensive lineman can drop. A linebacker can drop. A tight end can motion out. But an offensive lineman must stay in place once everything starts. And he must create contact with somebody on every single play. And that's a different mentality. That's a different mentality because every other skill position is taught to run away from it or try and elude it, we have to face it face on. There's no offensive lineman that's purposely going to ole a guy and not touch him and just run down the field free. That doesn't happen. We are built for that constant conflict. So, therefore, you must develop that mentality of, I'm going to go create pain for somebody else.
1: You know, I, I think that's exactly so. You know, I'm summarizing this whole thing. I think about it. A running game allows you to what? Impose your will on the opponents. A running game creates a physical mentality of superiority, of dominance. You can see it in the body language when you're putting the boots to the opponents in the second half, right? You can see that body language that says they start arguing with each other in the huddle. They're tired. They're beat up. They're sick and tired of getting up off the ground, doing those sorts of things. You know, it's it's kind of like it's a continual beatdown. Like, uh, remember Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men? You know, it's a oh, code yeah. red. Yeah. You're putting a code red on those guys <laughs> over there. And you're putting that physical establishment of this is what it's like. You come in to play at Heinz Field. We're going to put it on you, and we're going to beat you down. And, you know, I, I think about it, and it's, I love it. When you can play bully ball, when you can impose your will, we use that phrase over and over, but it's so important because – I, I think the Steelers showed it and displayed part of that, uh, what what the potential can be. Now they've got to bottle that thing and you use that as a reference. You can't simply say, "Okay, uh, we did it one time. Now let's go." No, you got to take from that and use that as a reference point to look back and say, "If we did it here, we can do it now again." And I, I hope that that's what they take from this. And part of that will be, you know, the the fact that you you, you had different formations rather than just an 11, you know, you went with, uh, you know, 13 personnel, 12 personnel, what have you. Um, there was a difference made when you put some of the bigger boys out there and you went after it. Would you not say so?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- like you said, 13, 12, 22 personnel uh, with TJ Watt in with two tight ends. I mean, I mean, like right. Derek Watt in with two tight ends. Yes. Um, And, and here's the thing. It- you create doubt. That that's the other big thing. When you impose your will, you create doubt in the other person, and that's what you that's what you're looking for. And the other thing, the physical embodiment of that is wolf. You know what it is, <clears throat> right <What's> here. That? <laughs> you, see, you see what I'm doing? When you see right. that guy with the, with the closed fist, hands on the hip, and he's looking away or looking out into the crowd, that's when you know he's toast. When, when yep. you see the hands on the hip, you're like, I got him. He's not going to admit it to me, but I got him. And that's what you're going for because it's like, no matter what I do, I'm wrong. <laughs> and we you and when you create that thought, it, it, it's a beautiful thing as an offensive lineman.
1: You know, that is. I think the most self-satisfying thing you can have is a pancake block and then just to, you know, push up off of them, like you said, and then to just walk away. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just – Hey, this is going to happen all day. And that's one of the things I hope that they keep with it. I think that the Steelers showed the great physicality that they're capable of. Now they got to bottle that and bring it back out. And we're going to bring it back out for the next segment coming up too. All right, we're going to go to break now. It's Wolf Starts and the Ninjas in the locker room, ESPN Pittsburgh, and Steelers Nation Radio.
0: in the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio.
1: Well, you know, I was thinking, Max, you know, I was thinking about it and thinking, you know, Cam Sutton's got, he's been injured a little bit. You got James Pierre, a young guy and everything. And, you know, maybe our best defensive back that we could move in there, and it's not Arthur Millette or Miles killer Brewer. What about Cam Hayward? He's got six PBUs, buddy. I mean, why not Cam, right? He's broken up more passes than anybody.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you might as well <laughs> allow Cam because in, in that game against Denver, he completely uh eliminated what you know the Broncos wanted to do. Every time Teddy Bridgewater was passing back and anything that was going across the middle, boom, Cam was there. I mean, he was whop, whop. I mean, I was surprised. And, in fact, Bill and I were up in the booth. I was like, okay, there's the fourth PBU. There's the fifth one. There's the sixth one. I mean, three pass deflections in that Broncos game alone really changed the course of that game, especially when you think about how tight it was at the end. And it really stopped the momentum because early on, they were 0 for 6 on third downs. And Cam, I think, had yes. spotted 2 at that point. And so to finish, what, 1 to 12? Granted, their fourth down percentage was was pretty good. but I mean that's a huge um display especially when you think you're down a main corner right you're down Cam Sutton Arthur Moore right. James Pierre and um, Trey Norwood are like all cycling in to fill that role and you and you got a hidden one right there that's doing double duty he's playing DL and DB you know that that's the this that, little acronym for each position defensive line and defensive back I mean come on so Cam <laughs> just needs to be just put next to his name Cameron Hayward defense. That's it. That's all you need to say. You don't <laughs> need to give him a position classification. Just say defense. He is strictly for the defensive side of the ball wherever you need him. You think about it. He's got six PBUs already. But go back to last
1: year when the Steelers played the Giants in the season opener, right? And you, know, In the midst of all this COVID lockdown. All right. What did he do? At, remember, the Giants are driving and he, the, the ball is deflected. He intercepts a ball. He's like the leading interceptor for the Steelers uh you know it, it uh, for against the Giants or early in the season he had at one point he's got more interceptions than sacks at that point if I recall correctly you know what I mean that's you looking at me and you just go wow you know but truly there's something about great players who play great at the great moments and Cam is one of those guys who has risen to that challenge established his leadership and been a guy that you look at and see, wow, the man really has risen to a high level of great play for the Steelers.
0: Uh, yes, he has, and, and he's he's kept that bar. And I think when you think about the Steelers defense in recent memory, last five, six, seven years, when if there's a visible physical representation of that, you think of Cam Hayward. That's the that that's the standard that he's carried on that defense right? He's been the heartbeat of that defense for a while. Right. And you say, when in doubt, look to Cam. And Cam always delivers. He's always the guy that's going to get you that hard play when you don't think things can crack through. And the next thing you know, he busts through the line for a big tackle for loss. Right? Or he makes the pass deflection. Or, like the description you were giving, an interception where you're not expecting it. He's always made that type of play and kept the intensity and the pressure on opposing offenses by the way that he plays. I mean, in fact, at one point, I think, you know, we were thinking Cam is unblockable, right? You know, two <laughs> yeah. guys on him. He's still re- – I call it the bear paw. He reaches out the bear paw. He's got two guys on him taking on a double team. The running back's trying to squeeze by, and he just reaches a paw and just snatches the guy. Like, those are the things. Just a big, just mammoth type of player who he's, – he's a big dude but he plays even bigger than his large stature. And that that's just such such a tremendous advantage to have on our side of the ball on defense.
1: You know, just speaking about those big plays, I remember in the second half of that Broncos game, that third and seven, when Bridgewater tried to throw to Kendall Hinton, right? But Cam reaches yeah. up and gets a paw on it. And the Steelers take that. Now they Denver's got to punt. So what do they do? The Steelers go on a big 15-play, 86-yard drive for – a, a touchdown and a lead of 24, six stuff like that. You know, I mean, guys let it, it just comes to cam and he makes the play, you know, and that's what you look for in your, a guy who leads by example, you know, he, he makes the big play. Uh, he doesn't just talk the talk, but he's able to walk the walk. And that's what leadership is. That's, I always remember Joe green and some of the things that he used to do. And again, I don't, there'll never be another uh, Joe Green. He's, he's one of a kind, that's for sure. But uh, Cam, as I've said before, he's the closest that Pittsburgh's ever going to see the, to the great Joe Green, that's for sure. Um, I'll say this. I was thinking to myself, I'll bet you Cam can play a mean game of badminton, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you will knock out that. The shuttlecock will not be the same <laughs> after Cam Hayward plays with it. That's
1: absolutely the truth. Now, I got to tell you something else went on there. Um, one of the things I love, did you see Henry Mondo, uh, Mandu, uh, however we want to, the, the great French pass rusher, he got his first sack. I loved it. You know, it was a great spin move. You know, he got the, uh, the ninja arm and hook on the guy, you know, as he's able to get upfield. Which is the the classic spin is always if you can gain ground coming out of the spin that's an excellent spin, and uh, uh, Henry had a great sack there on Bridgewater. Now I can't say the, the the celebration dance it didn't quite it didn't come across. Did you did you get a load of that?
0: I I didn't know if he was doing the matador, um, <laughs> or what. Um, yeah, it kind of it kind of perplexed me a little bit. Um, on the move <laughs> but <clears throat> here's the thing when, when, when you make an unexpected sack and you don't have the sack dance in your head you know it, it, it does come out as just a weird gyration body movements and flailing <laughs> I mean that's why you always go with I always thought you know hey if, if I'm going to have a signature play just rub your belly like I'm hungry I'm hungry that's <laughs> it nice and easy you know don't, don't, it, once you start doing hand movements or you have to bend down to do it or you know, right? Because I always, because I, I always love, I always, you know, loved like Joey's, right? I mean, Joey had the boot. Uh, you know, Larry right. Foot had the foot stomp, right? Brett, 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 Brett was shooting for the moon. Uh, you know, right, you, the you, you think of all these cool ones, yeah? I mean, you know, Jared Allen had the hog tie. Like those are great ones, right? Uh, but Henry, it does not go into to the it hall. Didn't, it didn't. It didn't work. Yeah. No.
1: Now, I'll, I'll no. give you another one. This was before my time, okay? I actually – but I did see it. You know, the fact is um, the great Gary Dunn, who was the first nose tackle for the Steelers' 3-4 defense in 82 when we switched to the officially the 3-4, he became the first official nose tackle at the 3-4. But Gary Dunn out of the University of Miami. Dunny back in the late 70s, they were playing a preseason game against the Patriots. Uh, in in New England, right? So, Dunny gets a sack in the first quarter, and then he gets a sack. John Banizak after the second sack, says, you you got to do a dance. And Dunny says, I don't have a dance. He goes, well, you got to come up with something, right? Because he played, like, almost the whole game. So, in the second half, uh, he comes up, and he gets a third sack on Steve Grogan. Remember Grogan, the Patriots quarterback? He had a horseshoe he'd wear on his. Okay. So, Dunny sacks Grogan for the third time, and and of course he feels the pressure from the boys. He's got to do something. Now he's kneeling on one knee and one foot, so he starts to windmill his arm. Right? He's called it the, the crank. Well, in the midst of windmilling his arm, Grogan sits up and he accidentally punches Grogan right in the head. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, <laughs> so
1: it, it starts a near melee. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's just he's swinging his arm like he's going to crank, you know, a, a plane or something. And, and that's when Grogan chooses to sit up and it catches him right in the mush. And but, but it's, it's a near riot on the field because they think that he intentionally went to punch Grogan. And the funny part was when you hear Gary Dunn telling the story, he had to face Chuck. And he came to the sidelines and Chuck said, what were you doing? He goes, um, it's the crank, Chuck. <laughs> Chuck was not one. He was not one to celebrate sacks back then. And it was, as Gary explains, oh, it was a very God. awkward moment <laughs> with Coach Knoll. But it, it was one of the funniest things I can ever remember about a sack. I saw it actually on TV as a kid, you know, or in, in, in college watching it. And uh, the, the fact is, it, it always stands out in my mind as, you know, one of those unintended consequences of the early days of. Physical celebration stuff going awry in the NFL.
0: Yes, the physical manifestations of happiness uh, on a football field <laughs> can be can be confusing, yet also joyous when when, when pulled off correctly. Like you know, because it reminds me of like all the touchdown. Remember how how the touchdown dances got so ridiculous? Guys were playing like right. Big frog and stuff in the end zone, playing hot potato. Yep. Yeah, the fi- I mean, you had all these crazy celebrations. They kind of toned down. That, that's where I feel like we are with the sacks, right? You know, everybody wants to have that signature move that they're always known for, but sometimes it gets lost right. in translation, and you just need to go ahead and get, just get back in the huddle.
1: What's not lost in the <laughs> translation is that, yeah, really, Henry Mondo, or Mondo, I'm sorry, Henry, I didn't mean to screw it up there, but Henry, you know, he, he comes along and is providing some good snaps at a time that the Steelers need him to provide some good snaps. You got yourself Isaiah Bugs, You got Chris Wormley. You know, but to be able to go out there, and he can float. He's played the nose tackle. He's played that three technique, and he plays a five technique, too. And he can get out there and pass rush. And that spin, that spin, I'm telling you, that was so clean. Uh, Dwight Freeney couldn't have done it any better than than what Henry did on that, that play.
0: Yeah, no, it's perfectly tied. And you have to wonder if Mel Ingram had some, uh, had some insight into that, because that's one of Mel's moves. Um, that he learned. That's exactly that learned. right. Yeah, he learned that from Dwight Freedy because I was there in San Diego um, when they were together. Um, and so I remember how much he worked on it with, with Dwight. So you wonder if it, during practice, since we don't get that type of access anymore, Wolf, um, right. if that's something that that they work on an individual period.
1: Well, you know, it's something to me, when, when you can pull that off and gain ground like I talked about and be able to hook the hip, of the offensive lineman, you know, the great Carl Harrison back in the day, he used to be able to, he'd, 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 uh, um, he, he'd come and he'd spin when he got his body up after throwing an uppercut, he'd catch you. So it was almost like a judo throw. You're getting a fit and he would spin on you and and literally pull you off your feet almost to spin. And that was a different type of spin. You know, Henry and, and Dwight Freeney. that's that high velocity, high, high force, spin where Harrison would throw the uppercut, get you all like trying to hunker down and then be able to lift you and then spin because then he could uproot you. And that was a different sort of spin uh, back in the day.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. This one's more, they're playing off of your momentum to kind of catapult them um, in different ways, you know, with the Mel Ingram, Dwight Freeney esque, and what Henry Mondo did, it is like you know, it's a. Hur- I call it the hurricane spin because the arms uh, are wide, yep. and you're trying to you're trying to pin that back shoulder of the lineman as you start to come back into, um, come back to base. Whereas what Debo used was more of a slingshot where he would get you into the body, and as you push that yep. hip, that hip was the was the momentum driver for him. He would use your own force against you to create his type of play. So, two different ways to get to the same result. Um, it's just there's a little bit more showmanship when it comes to that, that hurricane spin move. All right.
1: Well, we're going to take a break, folks. We'll be back after this. It's Wolf Starks and the Ninjas, ESPN Pittsburgh, and Steelers Nation Radio. <laughs>
0: The locker room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio.
1: You know what Cam Hayward is to the front end of the defense. Minka Fitzpatrick is to the back end, Max. And I know that we were talking off air, and you got some thoughts about Minka.
0: Yeah, no, I mean a lot of people are trying to. Kind of take down what Minka does, what he's trying to accomplish, and oh my gosh, he's he's not as he's not as dynamic as he used to be. He's he's not making the plays, but what we have to understand is Minka is still doing what Minka does. He is creating a paradigm shift for the rest of the guys on the backside of the of, 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 of the of the football team in that secondary position. Minka, because he's such a focal point, is creating havoc in different ways. Because he is such a physical player, yes, he doesn't have the interceptions, right? We're used to the big interception and, oh, the change of pace plays. But what Minka does in the run support game, what he does um, in the actual pass deflection or making quarterbacks not throw in his direction is just as good as him making that interception in a lot of ways. Because – This is another game, lead the team in tackles, right? Double-digit tackles. And he made a huge TFL in the game against Melvin Gordon. He plays at such a high level that because the statistics aren't sexy enough, right, for everybody, um, you know, PFF has been giving him some bad grades and saying he isn't playing well and, oh, he's doing too much. But what he affects in the Dimebacker game, what he affects in your sub package, when Mink is near the line of scrimmage, Quarterbacks get nervous, and that's mm-hmm. what he, cre- he now brings that mystique to him, and I think we often overlook it because we're, we're expecting Minka to just do Minka things, but what Minka provides on that secondary side, he creates a level of physicality even for receivers. Receivers don't want to go across the middle if they see Minka sitting back in zone, or if you get him off the slot, you don't want that shallow crosser with Minka on you right it's almost like you don't even want to look at the quarterback it's like the second he's trying to connect like okay i got this drag you're like uh-uh, don't throw it to me don't throw it to me I'm look away <laughs> that, right, so, right. That, that's the hidden things we don't see because you know uh, it doesn't pick up on the broadcast copy it doesn't pick up on the stat sheet every time but when you're watching him play which i love doing and especially when i'm out there on the field you know sitting in the end zone with the defense in front of me so i'm watching the backside of the defense right what he does to move people with just his physical presence is just as effective as when he makes the plays because he's essentially shutting down an area and then when it is a run play he is the fill in the supposed gap <laughs> in the offense and so i think that's right. something that we don't really talk about enough and i think that's kind of needs to be highlighted because if you just read news clippings or if you or if you you don't get to see it up close and personal because the TV copy doesn't carry it when it shows him fully. It only shows the end result. It To see it from a full-field perspective is a completely different story. And I was like, I want to talk about that because Minka is doing a great job in that secondary of leading it. When we talk about the leaders that we have at each layer, um, it's important to highlight You know, not only Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt and what they present on the line of scrimmage and at the linebacker position, but what's going on in that secondary. Between Minka, Terrell Edmonds, who's having a great season this year as well. Yes. He's he's a dynamic run support guy. Joe Hayden. Like, all of these guys work in synergy with each other, and, and it's, it's, it's a darn good team. Now, we'll be even better when Cam comes back, but the young guys are also earning their stripes as well. The, puppy, the puppies are starting to lose that puppy breath the more games and, and snaps they get.
1: And I hate puppy breath, that's for sure. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, when you look at Minka, though, one of the things you said is in fact. You know, talking about his presence, his mere presence can shut down an area because a, a quarterback looks at it. It's kind of like with Troy. You know, I remember Joe Flacco years ago said, "Follow the hair," because where the hair goes, you don't want to follow. You know, so yeah. you can see where he's going, and then you go away from him. And that's in in essence. Um, Minka does the same thing without the long hair, but Minka has a different dynamic in the way he plays that free safety. But it's still at the same time, um, you know. I love what you talked about, you know, playing the high safety, but then also the the ability to come down and play that robber safety, you know. And, and you don't know if you're the quarterback looking over, thinking about, yes, I have a crossing route on this play, and is Minka the free safety? Is he going to stay up top, put a lid on things? or is he going to drop down and play that robber sort of uh, defensive back or safety down in the, you know, towards near the, nearer the box? And so to me, the, just the dynamic of his presence, the 3-9 on his jersey, it does, it says something to the quarterback it says, hey, you might not want to, you know, go here. You can go somewhere else. And also part of what you're talking about is, you know, as a quarterback tries to look off the safety, the safety is playing mind games with the quarterback back. And I, I find yes. the dynamic fascinating.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it is one of those. I mean, even think about the Henry Ruggs play, right? We're like, oh, Minka, yes. Minka was eyed in on Darren Waller. Well, that's the reason why Derek Carr did not want to throw to Darren Waller and why he wasn't getting throws right. to Darren Waller in that game. Because remember, in that game, he was coming in, We took leading the NFL in targets and receptions. And that game, he had like four or five, from down from like 12 the previous week. Oh, yeah. Because Minka had that responsibility. And yes, it opened up for Henry Ruggs and like, oh, Minka, Minka, you know, took a lot of oh, I, I missed it because I was focused on Darren Waller. Well I'm like, you eliminated Darren Waller in that situation. And and let's face it, Henry Ruggs is a fifty percent catching receiver. So it was like there was a chance he might have caught it or didn't catch it. And that's the responsibility of the D B carrying with him. But you can't put all that responsibility on because you eliminated Darren Waller from that play as being a viable option.
1: Well, we want to make sure we finish up by going to the phones here. Uh, we I do believe we have CR Steelers Nation in Chicago checking in. CR, are you are you still there, brother? Hello, CR, are you there? Uh, I don't know. We might have lost him, you know. But continuing the aspect of what we're talking about, you know, if we go and and you and you take a guy like Minka, one of the things that you have to have is if you got Batman, you got to have Robin. All right, one yes. of the one of the things that you got to have is a guy like Terrell Edmonds because he can play off of the Batman that is Minka. And one of the things I love about Terrell, and I told this Terrell because we do a show together on Tuesdays in the afternoon, we uh, do it for uh, DV for the Market District, Giant Eagle Market District. But you know his ability to maneuver in the box is fabulous. I mean, he moves, uh, he moves like a linebacker. You know, I mean, he he's yeah. one of these guys. He can get off blocks. He's strong enough. He can run down backs from behind as he zips through his gaps at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he does a phenomenal job of playing that supportive role to Minka as Minka plays a bigger or a role with Terrell. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that, and that, that's the that that's the that's the symbiotic relationship you want to see between your safeties, right? I'll back whatever your plays. and that's what made RC so great with Troy, right? RC could almost instinctively know what Troy was going to do as he was doing it and knew what his responsibility was and where the gap was that Troy left to make sure that he had him covered so that he could make Troy right. And I think that's what a great thing is for Terrell. Terrell can make Minka right when Minka's playing instinctive football. And that that is something that you hope to get that with your safeties, but you don't always get that end result. And that's what makes it really cool to see. And like you said, it leads to – <clears throat> Terrell getting his, <clears throat> sorry about that, his first interception two weeks ago, right? Right. Playing in that middle of the field and playing off in an area and just reading what Mink is doing. <clears throat> no question about sorry it. Sorry about that. A little adjusted. Sorry. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think little, that's what that, up that, that's up a hairball. Cool. little <laughs> I'm a little beklempt <laughs> <I'm laughs> right now. Um, Just thinking about it, it brings a tear yeah. to my eye, Wolf. Um, yes. But I think, Talk I think that, that, and that's the whole cool thing. <laughs> Yeah, talk amongst yourselves. Have fun. All right. The topic is, <laughs> yeah, uh, Minka. <laughs> but yeah, Minka, go. Um, but I think that, and and then when you see Trey Norwood in there, right, as the third kind of safety, yes. nickel guy, like he's just trying to fit in the triangle, right? It's like it's like the it's like the triangle offense, you know? It's like, hey, hey, where do I get it? Am I the passer in this one? And he's finding his way as well and creating opportunities for himself. And even when you have Arthur Millette coming in at that slot, like you're filling in with that with that safety crew, you're more safety than you are cornerback in that situation because you're playing that area on the inside because your corners are island men, and everybody else works within the land structure. And so, you know, even for Arthur Millette, you have to make that decision. Okay, well, if Minka replaces me or if Minka sits in this area, what's my what's my secondary responsibility because he he feels something. And that's, that's just a beautiful thing. And that's what made our defense so great back when I played was that you had a great relationship. You know, when it was either Willie Gay coming in and playing that nickel slot position, right? Even when BMAC moved to the inside early on when you had DeShay and Ike on the outsides. Like, mm-hmm. you have to fit in with Chris Hope and and Troy or, Chris, or, or Troy and Ryan Clark. Like, all of that has to work together. And, and when you're clicking... That's when you get those type of results like we saw on Sunday.
1: You know, you just mentioned the guy that I wanted to mention because I think he's done some work worthy of mentioning is the young Trey Norwood. The guy has come along and done some nice things out there. They've been able to put him in some supportive roles, whether it's been playing over the slot, whether it's been playing at safety position. But he's a guy that's taken a number of snaps and quietly done some nice work in there.
0: Yeah, he he has done a great job. And, you know, when you do good deeds, you get rewarded with more snaps. (laughs) And his snap count has gone up every game because they feel comfortable with him. He's instilled trust not only with the coaches and knowing what he's supposed to do, but also in that room. You've earned your stripes in the pecking order to say, all right, this is the first guy off when we get into sub. Or "This this is the guy in when we're in dime. So it's a great maturation process. Hopefully it continues to grow.
1: I think it's got to continue to grow. I mean, let's face it, Cam Sutton, when you have soft tissue injuries this early in the season, it may be something that uh, will will tend to, um, you know, bother you throughout the season, or hopefully it goes away. But, you know, again, soft tissue injuries are tough to heal on the fly during the season. But regardless, Trey Norwood is a guy that uh, I think it's important that um, he's come along. Okay, Max, we got about less than 30 seconds, my friend. We've got to do this again. Are you going to be in the locker room tomorrow?
0: Oh, absolutely. I will be in the locker room there tomorrow, go. bright and early.
1: <laughs> good. Then you bring the donuts, even virtual donuts.
0: <laughs> okay, there it is. All right. Done.
1: <laughs> uh, thank you, my friend. Oh, it's good to have you. We'll be back tomorrow, folks. Thanks so much. you got Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room. We'll be back tomorrow. ESPN Pittsburgh, Steelers Nation Radio, and stay tuned for the Mike Tomlin Press Conference.